Letter 21 My dear Wormwood, Yes, a period of sexual temptation is an excellent time for working in a subordinate attack on the patient's peevishness. It may even be the main attack, as long as he thinks it the subordinate one. But here, as in everything else, the way must be prepared for your moral assault by darkening his intellect. Men are not angered by mere misfortune, but by misfortune conceived as injury. And the sense of injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. The more claims on life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured, and as a result, ill-tempered. Now you will have noticed that nothing throws him into a passion so easily as to find a tract of time which he reckoned on having at his own disposal unexpectedly taken from him. It is the unexpected visitor, when he looked forward to a quiet evening, or the friend's talkative wife, turning up when he looked forward to a time with the friend, that throw him out of gear. Now he is not yet so uncharitable or slothful that these small demands on his courtesy are in themselves too much for it. They anger him because he regards his time as his own and feels that it is being stolen. You must therefore zealously guard in his mind the curious assumption, my time is my own. Let him have the feeling that he starts each day as the lawful possessor of twenty-four hours. Let him feel as a grievous tax that portion of this property which he has to make over to his employers, and as a generous donation that further portion which he allows to religious duties. But what he must never be permitted to doubt is that the total from which these deductions have been made was, in some mysterious sense, his own personal birthright. You have here a delicate task. The assumption which you want him to go on making is so absurd that, if once it is questioned, even we cannot find a shred of argument in its defense. The man can neither make nor retain one moment of time. It all comes to him by pure gift. He might as well regard the sun and moon his chattels. He is also, in theory, committed to a total service of the enemy. And if the enemy appeared to him in bodily form and demanded that total service for even one day, he would not refuse. He would be greatly relieved if that one day involved nothing harder than listening to the conversation of a foolish woman. And he would be relieved almost to the pitch of disappointment if for one half hour in that day the enemy said, Now you may go and amuse yourself. Now if he thinks about his assumption for a moment, even he is bound to realize that he is actually in this situation every day. When I speak of preserving this assumption in his mind, therefore, the last thing I mean you to do is to furnish him with arguments in its defense. There aren't any. Your task is purely negative. Don't let his thoughts come anywhere near it. Wrap a darkness about it, and in the center of that darkness let his sense of ownership in time lie silent, uninspected, and operative. The sense of ownership in general is always to be encouraged. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership which sound equally funny in heaven and in hell, and we must keep them doing so. Much of the modern resistance to chastity comes from men's belief that they own their bodies, those vast and perilous estates pulsating with the energy that made the worlds in which they find themselves without their consent and from which they are ejected at the pleasure of another. It is as if a royal child whom his father has placed for love's sake in titular command of some great province under the real rule of wise counselors should come to fancy he really owns the cities, the forest, and the corn in the same way as he owns the bricks on the nursery floor. We produce this sense of ownership not only by pride, but by confusion. We teach them not to notice the different senses of the possessive pronoun, the finely graded differences that run from my boots through my dog, my servant, my wife, my father, my master, and my country, to my god. They can be taught to reduce all these senses to that of my boots, the my of ownership. Even in the nursery a child can be taught to mean by my teddy bear, not the old imagined recipient of affection to whom it stands in a special relation, for that is what the enemy will teach them to mean if we are not careful, but the bear I can pull to pieces if I like. 
And at the other end of the scale, we have taught men to say, my God, in a sense not really very different from my boots, meaning the God on whom I have a claim for my distinguished services and whom I exploit from the pulpit, the God I have done a corner in. And all the time the joke is that the word mine, in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered by a human being about anything. In the long run, either our father or the enemy will say mine of each thing that exists, and specially of each man. They will find out in the end, never fear, to whom their time, their souls, and their bodies really belong. Certainly not to them, whatever happens. At present, the enemy says mine of everything on the pedantic, legalistic ground that he made it. Our father hopes in the end to say mine of all things on the more realistic and dynamic ground of conquest. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Letter 22 My dear Wormwood, So, your man is in love, and in the worst kind he could possibly have fallen into, and with a girl who does not even appear in the report you sent me. You may be interested to learn that the little misunderstanding with the secret police which you tried to raise about some unguarded expressions in one of my letters has been tidied over. If you were reckoning on that to secure my good offices, you will find yourself mistaken. You shall pay for that, as well as for your other blunders. Meanwhile, I enclose a little booklet just issued on the new House of Correction for Incompetent Tempters. It is profusely illustrated, and you will not find a dull page in it. I have looked up this girl's dossier and am horrified at what I find. Not only a Christian, but such a Christian— a vile, sneaking, simpering, demure, monosyllabic, mouse-like, watery, insignificant, virginal bread-and-butter miss. The little brute. She makes me vomit. She stinks and scalds through the very pages of the dossier. It drives me mad the way the world has worsened. We'd have had her to the arena in the old days. That's what her sort is made for. Not that she'd do much good there, either. A two-faced little cheat, I know the sort, who looks as if she'd faint at the sight of blood and then dies with a smile. A cheat every way. Looks as if butter wouldn't melt in her mouth, and yet has a satirical wit. The sort of creature who'd find me funny. Filthy, insipid little prude. And yet ready to fall into this booby's arms like any other breeding animal. Why doesn't the enemy blast her for it, if he's so moonstruck by virginity, instead of looking on there, grinning? He's a hedonist at heart. All those fasts and vigils and stakes and crosses are only a facade, or only like a foam on the seashore. Out at sea, out in his sea, there is pleasure and more pleasure. He makes no secret of it. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Ugh. I don't think he has the least inkling of that high and austere mystery to which we rise in the miserific vision. He's vulgar, Wormwood. He has a bourgeois mind. He has filled his world full of pleasures. There are things for human to do all day long without his minding in the least. Sleeping, washing, eating, drinking, making love, playing, praying, working. Everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us. We fight under cruel disadvantages. Nothing is naturally on our side. Not that that excuses you. I'll settle with you presently. You have always hated me and been insolent when you dared. Then, of course, he gets to know this woman's family in whole circle. Could you not see that the very house she lives in is one that he ought never to have entered? The whole place reeks of that deadly odor. The very gardener, though he has only been there five years, is beginning to acquire it. Even guests, after a weekend visit, carry some of the smell away with them. The dog and the cat are tainted with it. And a house full of the impenetrable mystery... We are certain, it is a matter of first principles, that each member of the family must in some way be making capital out of the others, but we can't find out how. 
They guard as jealously as the enemy himself the secret of what really lies behind this pretense of disinterested love. The whole house and garden is one vast obscenity. It bears a sickening resemblance to the description one human writer made of heaven. The regions where there is only life and therefore all that is not music is silence. Music and silence, how I detest them both. How thankful we should be that ever since our father entered hell, though longer ago than humans reckoning in light years could express, no square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces. But all has been occupied by noise. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile. Noise which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. But I admit we are not yet loud enough for anything like it. Research is in progress. Meanwhile, you disgusting little... Here the manuscript breaks off and is resumed in a different hand. In the heat of composition, I find that I have inadvertently allowed myself to assume the form of a large centipede. I am accordingly dictating the rest to my secretary. Now that the transformation is complete, I recognize it as a periodical phenomenon. Some rumor of it has reached the humans, and a distorted account of it appears in the poet Milton, with the ridiculous addition that such changes of shape are a punishment imposed on us by the enemy. A more modern writer, someone with a name like Pshaw, has, however, grasped the truth. Transformation proceeds from within, and is a glorious manifestation of that life force which our father would worship if he worshipped anything but himself. In my present form, I feel even more anxious to see you, to unite you to myself in an indissoluble embrace. Signed, Toadpipe, for his abysmal sublimity under secretary, Screwtape, T-E-B-S, etc.